0: Head over to TheInforium.com slash Nebula to sign up now. I don't know. It just seems like now that the internet is ubiquitous, like cynicism and weird oh, yeah. sarcastic hate of things is cool That is popular. It, you and you popular. seem smarter if you don't
1: know how to have fun because you're too smart for fun. Yeah, look at these
0: people. And I don't know. I think I think a fidget spinner is just a stupid thing to spin. And if you have one, cool. And if you don't, cool, whatever. Um I do find some of the hate for fidget spinners funny though. Like because I've seen some pretty like sarcastic videos. Um one person made a video about how to do fidget spinner vape tricks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> vape niche, y'all. I thought that was pretty funny. And he's just like spinning a fidget spinner on his finger and then blowing vape smoke into it. It's like, oh, so cool. I call this the b- blow vape smoke into the fidget spinner trick. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> but yeah, I was given a fidget cube when I was at a clamor Con, and it's fun to click. It's very tactile. I'm one of those people who does fidget quite a lot anyway. So that's why I have my uh, perplexus thing and I have like that wooden block toy up there. Oh, Sometimes yeah. I just take it apart and put it back together because it's kind of fun. Uh, and I should probably learn to Rubik's cube because that would be fun too. But anyway, this is your episode. This is like the most your episode episode, well, ever in the history see, of episodes.
1: In episode one sixty one, we were talking about um, either doing something hierarchically or territorially. Yeah, and this is my territory.
0: This is your territory and you're going to go at it with the ferocity of a territorial hippopotamus. <laughs> yes, where did I write that? I wrote that somewhere. You wrote it Isn't it like literally the album description of your rap album oh, on yeah, yeah, on Spotify right. or think, CD Baby or whatever? I think it might be somewhere. I is your about a, that. is your album still on Amazon? Yeah, it is. Amazon The Gloom, Martin Baby. I want to see if it's on there still like the
1: Is that is that like where I described
0: there doesn't seem to be a description here on Amazon.
1: Maybe it was Bandcamp. I don't remember. Also. But I digress. I
0: really don't like 2017. Why? Because I just went on to Amazon, and here are my recommendations. are two fidget spinners. Uh.
1: Now. Stop stalking us. This This says inspired by your, it says
0: inspired by your browsing history, but I'm pretty sure I've never looked at fidget spinners on Amazon before ever. This episode has not been published. You can't use Uh, this to to advertise (laughs) to us. I guess I looked at some fidget spinner videos on YouTube like a few days ago, but I do find it really weird that like we just mentioned them and now they're sitting here. Well, this isn't the first time you've had that weird coincidence happen. I know, right? Sometimes I honestly think like my phone is listening to me and then it just like recommends products right after I mention them because I've had times where I will just mention a thing with friends in conversation and then I'll see an ad for it like very shortly after. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, Yeah. I'm looking here at my browsing history. No fidget spinners. Too spooked. At all. Uh, Don't want to think about that. (laughs) Very hard. So I guess Amazon's uh, recommendation algorithm is listening to our podcast.
1: Hopefully, it gives us five stars on iTunes. Yeah, Amazon, if you'd like to like, comment, and subscribe, <laughs> I don't even the you do the Amazon recommendation algorithm. Or you can't yeah. like it. I think you can. You can comment and subscribe, please. You could do that. The Amazon recommendation algorithms
0: three star review of the College Info Geek podcast. Yeah, pretty good, but uh, <laughs> they, <laughs> they didn't. They, they didn't, didn't buy, buy a anything. fidget spinner. <laughs> yeah. So. What's the point of listening to this crap? Yeah. They're not buying stuff from me. Come on. You're right. 2017 is scary. <laughs> I don't like this. Big data is scary. Every time I think about it. Actually, uh, on that note, I will give everyone a new podcast recommendation. Ooh. Because I just found it yesterday. I really like the whole Relay FM family of podcasts, and they just came out with a new one. It is called, that's at the bottom of my podcast thing here. It's called Download. And if you're interested in like keeping up with tech then it's probably a cool podcast to check out. But they were talking about all these things that they, uh, they heard about at the Google I.O. conference. And basically they were saying Google's vision for the future is to essentially have like a camera built into your face at some point. And literally anything you look at, it will provide contextual answers on. Which is both really cool sounding because I mean, it would be kind of cool to just be like, look at a building and then all of a sudden, like, its hours pop up or its phone number pops up or it just tells you what's there. That's kind of a cool thing. But on the other hand, that much data, I don't know. I don't I'm just like saying, that. like, it's going to recommend me a lot more fidget spinners in the future. And I don't think I want one, but maybe I will.
1: Yeah, I'm not comfortable with the future. Yeah. Everything's become pretty uh, pretty Blade Runner-esque. What are you going to do?
0: What are you going to do? Um, become a hermit. Live in the mountains. Which means I'll never be able to podcast again. But it's okay because trees don't have ears. And they can't leave us iTunes reviews anyway. Yeah. So I'm just going to, you know, eat bears or something. They're like right up in the mountains. I can go fight one right now. You want to do a podcast episode like while fighting a bear? That'd be cool. We'll just each have a microphone. And it's just like, hang on. I got a tip for this point, but
1: first I need to just like spear this bear. Yeah, the problem is that we're going to die, and that's going to be like a snuff podcast because it's. It, you don't know that. Not going to be good. I, oh, I, ye of little faith! I am of little faith right now. You just got another proper bear fighting
0: techniques. I don't. Step
1: one: own an Abrams tank. That's what this episode's about. Now the proper bear fighting techniques.
0: And that's where we've been going all along. I knew I couldn't start a podcast with bear fighting techniques, but I knew someday I could someday. St- I could start with something a little more accessible and then slowly move into it. Yeah. I'm trying to prepare the world for the inevitable bear mageddon bear apocalypse whatever. Yeah, <laughs> sort of bear related disaster that is definitely imminent. And if you're not ready to fight bears for like every every single day for your full-time job pretty much then you got a you got a big surprise coming in the future. That's yeah, what I'm saying <laughs> something like that. <laughs> I don't know where this podcast is going. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I don't have any idea. Like you said, this is your territory. Yeah. Because today we're talking about uh, foreign languages, and apparently somebody emailed us a question about how to make the most of their foreign language class. So take it away, good sir. Uh, Because take it it away, Ernie. I never took very. Yeah, I never. uh, I never took advantage of my language classes. I just got to say, I took four years of Spanish in high school. In high school, did you take any in college? Nope. I took four years of Spanish in high school, and I took one year of French before that in eighth grade. And I can say some stuff about how my teacher ran the French class because I think he did a good job, but I definitely did not take advantage of that. Like for me. Spanish at the time was just a requirement and I took 4 years because I needed 4 years to get a scholarship. So,
1: yeah, and if you if you don't like have a passion for it, it's really not that much motivation to do anything other than pass. Exactly. I really didn't have a passion for it. You know, and and now like if I were to learn a
0: foreign language, I don't even know what I would learn. Like maybe I would go learn Japanese again, but maybe not because I don't want to travel to Japan until I travel to some other countries. So maybe I would want to learn Italian because I want to go to Rome, or I don't know. I don't know. I have no clue. There are thousands of choices. But I know that you are passionate about
1: languages. Yeah. So take it away, Ernie. Yes. So I've got four basic things, Mm -hmm. four main points in this. And the first one is that if you want to make the most out of your language class, you need to speak as little English as possible, preferably none in the class. And it always sounds obvious, but constantly when I was in class, you've got people what page are we doing this on? Or how do you say that? Or they're they're chatting with their friends, saying things that like, I know that what you're saying is simple and you do have the words to say it in this language. All of those things, Mm. if you just ask what page is it in the the target language, you ask what the phrase is, how how do you say something in a language? Or even if you're just talking to your friends in the target language, I basically can guarantee that your teacher will be less mad if they catch you ignoring class talking if you're successfully speaking in the language they're teaching. Yeah, it does make sense. Because that's going to be kind of cool. Yeah. But the reason that you need to take advantage of it this way is your teacher speaks the language. Hopefully. Mm -hmm. You know, I've seen community. It's not always true. But (laughs) this means that you can always try out new words and phrases with them, and they can give you quick, accurate feedback, which you desperately need to naturally pick up on patterns and rules. We kind of absorb language. Mm -hmm. So, like, babies have their parents and family always speaking a language usually one but even when it's more than that they pick up really quick because it's always 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 there but likely when you're taking a French class you get out of class there's no French anymore you're likely not doing yeah. anything in French you need to maximize the one best resource that you have right now which is your teacher who can speak the language so
0: let's break this down and do a specific example say I'm in class and I do want to ask what page something is on but let's say it's an early class, like Spanish one, and I have no idea how to say any of that. I don't know what the word for pages. I don't know what the word for like what, you know, what is or are we on? Like I know literally none of it because this is something I dealt with in Japan when I was there. I want to say something, but I had absolutely no conception of how to say that at all. So would you just like write that down and maybe look it up later and start building up maybe a list of, phrases that have come to mind that you want to learn or do you just like speak up and just mumble
1: or, or what i would say that well in the beginning of a lot of language classes one of the very first phrases that they're likely to want you to learn and if they don't say it you should ask how to say it is how do you say blank mm. in the language so like como se dice turtles en español something like that so that you can ask questions and throw in the little bit of english you need so how do you say what page in that? Ask these things early. Your teacher can give them to you really quickly. Or you can try to look it up later if you don't want to use it immediately. And then try it out at the next class. Like you've looked, okay. you look up these words on your own time and you're like, I think I'm going to say that. And then you go to class and then maybe they go around the classroom and they have each student basically answer a question. And mm-hmm. for the most part, each student's saying the same thing. Like, hola, como estas? And most people are just going to say, estoy bien because that's the words they've learned. But if you've learned something else and you can be like, estoy maravilloso, I'm marvelous, then you just, you tried out a new word, you looked up somewhere else and your teacher is going to be able to immediately respond to that. And maybe they'll be pleased you learned a new word or if you said it wrong, they'll correct you and now you know a new word. Mm -hmm. There's something that you can get from testing all these things out because you have to test them out or you won't be confident enough to use them ever again. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So maybe if, you see
0: your teacher ask somebody else a question that you know you're going to be asked later on and you've got some time, uh, take that time to think of a different response that you might give.
1: Yeah. And, and maybe
0: it's something you don't know.
1: A really personalized response uh, was always really helpful for me. So one of the other one of the other points I've gotten here, one of the big points is to learn personalized vocabulary for that reason. Mm-hmm. So let's say a lot of programs, I'm just going to make fun of Rosetta Stone because I'm pretty sure that that's a phrase that they have in there, but... The boy played with the red ball. Yes, you might learn how to say those things. Yeah. But I don't really ever need to say that ever. Those words are not important to me. So what if you're actually – what if you're into music or you're a vegetarian or you're obsessed with plants or you like to program? And the teacher goes around asking questions. Instead of sticking to those basic generic terms, the boy played with red ball – You can say something that means something to you. And when you've said something that relates to you personally, to the teacher successfully, what you've done now is actually communicated something in Mm. your new language, which Mm. is the point of language. Because if you're not communicating something personal to you, then all you're doing is just repeating memorized phrases that mean nothing. And that's never going to be motivating. So, como se dice fidget spinner vape tricks? No idea. I have... (laughs) I have no idea.
0: It's very personal to me.
1: But like, (laughs) so I had a Chinese class and when we went around, we had to say a food that we eat. Mm -hmm. Most people just said hamburgers because that was a thing. But I wasn't eating meat at the time. So I guessed the word for tofu just because I like tofu. Mm. And I was wrong, but she was excited that I tried it, corrected me, and now I was like, now I know how to say something that matters to me. I might actually say that in real life. Whereas in real life, I don't say the boy played with the red ball, but I might say I like to eat tofu. And from
0: a general learning perspective, that is going to build stronger memories because anytime you process information um, at a biological level, there are neurotransmitters that assign like an emotional or just importance value to whatever you're intaking. And that will contribute to how strongly that memory is encoded. So, if you are communicating things that are valuable to you because they are personally applicable to you, then not only are you going to remember, like, for instance, the word tofu, you're going to remember tofu better than you would remember hamburger because you like tofu or it's more important to you, but that is also going to serve to uh, better encode the grammar around that. So, because you wanted to remember to say, I like to eat tofu because it was tofu and because your brain thinks that's important to me, you're gonna remember how to say, I like to eat. And then that word as well, a little bit better, by association. Because the boy played with red ball, you don't care about that at all. So not only are you not remembering what red ball is in Spanish, because you don't care about that, but you also won't remember how to say like played with or the boy or anything like that.
1: Yeah, the whole phrase becomes more important when it matters to you. Mm -hmm. So basically, what's your major? What are your hobbies? What's your favorite food? Try and maybe make a short list. Just 10 words, 10 words, 20 words. Do something near the beginning and find the words that you interact with in your daily life because yeah. these words matter to you personally. And when you learn these words and you get to try them out, it makes language feel more like it's a part of you mm-hmm. rather than just an exercise in pointlessly repeating generic sentences, which yeah, there's no reason to do that. Didn't you have a name for this technique? Yes. Wasn't it like HOVA? Yeah, it was OVA, O-V-A, Organic Vocabulary Acquisition, which I used to do because I was – I used Anki flashcards, and I could talk about that a bit later. But what I would do is walking around, my average day, I'm walking around, I'm like, oh, look, sidewalk, squirrel, I'm programming, and I'm like, to program – or website, or server. And I would note and try to say, do I know the words for the things around me as I just go about my day and write these words down? And then I'd look them up later. And if you keep doing that, eventually you won't have to look up so many words and you'll find that the things you surround yourself with, you can talk about. Mm -hmm. And that's way more important than you being able to discuss something that you don't do. Yeah. I wonder why
0: Rosetta Stone is so popular since it doesn't use this technique because it seems so obvious. I
1: think it's really well marketed.
0: That could be what it is. Yeah, that would make sense.
1: Well, also because a lot of language things want to teach you or want to tell you, this is really easy. You can do this in like zero seconds a day Mm -hmm. and you don't have to try very hard. And unfortunately, you do. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's, people want quick solutions. People want easy solutions. But a language is how we communicate our our conception of the universe yeah, around us. It's pretty big. There's a lot of stuff to do. No matter how much Spanish I speak, there is just countless Spanish that I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I know that. I mean, no matter how much English we speak, yeah, there's tons of words that we don't know. And you know what words those are? The words we don't use in our daily life. Yep. And when you see a new word in a book, you might look it up and say, oh, that's interesting. But if you don't see it ever again, you'll forget it. But if they use it 10 more times in the book, you'll probably know that word because now it matters to you, even in your native tongue. There are plenty of words we just choose to forget because they don't matter. I don't know all Shakespearean words. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So one thing that I will add to this tip to personalize the words
0: that you study, um, your brain remembers things that are personally applicable to you or that are uncommon. And one way that uh, I was able to take advantage of this is when I was studying Japanese, I would try to come up with mnemonics that were really weird and crazy. Um, and I, I don't really know if I have one for Japanese that just comes to mind right now. But the one that's coming to mind is for remembering the capital of Finland, which is Helsinki. I came up with this like picture of a giant sinkhole. To hell opening up and like these giant sharks jumping out of it. You don't think kindly of Finland, do you? No, I think Finland's probably great. But it doesn't matter where the sinkhole to hell is. All I just remember is like there's a sinkhole to hell and there's like these evil sharks which have fins. So it's like fins and Mm, hell and sink. Helsinki is in Finland. And uh, I remember Anna had to remember all the countries and capitals in Europe and do a test on them. And we made up a bunch of mnemonics like this, which really helped her to remember them because you create these crazy outlandish scenes in your head, which are really hard to forget. And then you remember it. So I remember in, um, in Japanese, I think the word for street is Cho. So the mnemonic that Wani kind of came up with is picture like this really mean old lady standing in the middle of the street. And her name is Mrs. Cho. And, for whatever reason, like that picture was funny to me. And she's like holding a baseball bat or something. Um, And I just remember that now, like there's all these weird mnemonics that came up. So if you can come up with a weird story or a weird picture in your head that associates the different meanings or vocabulary terms or translations, then you'll have an easier time remembering as well.
1: Yeah, and the more that you use that, the less you'll rely on the mnemonic. Mm -hmm. So it's not like in 50 years, you'll still have to remember Mrs. Chole. You'll you'll just, you'll make the connection sooner, but it's a good way to help force the connection without you having to pull out your phone and look stuff up, which really just teaches your brain. I don't have to memorize things. Mm -hmm. And that may be true for a lot of things. Yes, we have calculators in our pockets. Yes, whatever. But with language, you really need to memorize a lot, unfortunately, in order to do it fluidly. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I mean, it's not just mnemonics. I mean, it's, it's any sort of
0: association trick that works well. So, you know, like Roy G Biv. Sounds yeah. like somebody's name, but that's how you remember the order of the, um, what is it, like the the frequency, the order of the color spectrum. I think it's like the frequency of the waves or something wow, like that. Wow, really complicated rainbow. I know it's the order of the rainbow, but it's like, why is the rainbow in that order? It's like, okay, red light has a lower frequency in the wavelength than orange or yeah. than violet. But, you know, now you just know that. It's that you know that's the reason. You don't have to fall back on, oh, it's just because of Roy G. Biv or you know, 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. That sticks in your head because it rhymes, but eventually you just know, like, okay, it was 1492 when Columbus set out on his on his voyage. Yeah. I don't have to you just rely to, like, on the rhyme. The thing. But as that memory is being built, as that neural pattern is being strengthened through repeated recall. Um, you're able to lean on those rhymes or those associations or mnemonics when it's weaker.
1: Yeah. And that repeated recall actually is really important and links to my third point, which is uh, don't cram for tests. Yeah. Don't cram. I realize you can do this for a lot of tests, but language classes pretty much by default are cumulative. Mm -hmm. You build upon the early stuff that you learn. You can't just forget present tense grammar and then be okay later. Yeah. So- an alternative to this, and some, some of it is just doing your homework, you know, just actively doing your homework and putting good effort into it and trying hard to understand all of it. That's good practice. It's pretty much the reason you get it. But also spaced repetition, which is trying to manipulate that active recall there mm-hmm. that helps you to remember things better. And so when I was in language classes, I used Anki which is a really cool flashcard app that uses spaced repetition. And you have a video on spaced repetition, actually. Yep. And basically it will have you go through your flashcard deck. And if you get a word right several days in a row, it'll be like, yeah, you know that word. We don't need to check on that word for another two weeks or so. Mm -hmm. And if you get it wrong, it'll say, we're going to check that out tomorrow until you start getting it right. So eventually you're studying just the stuff that is important to study and not the stuff you already know really well. Yeah. Which is a great time saver, but you can do that with Anki, and you can create your own flashcard decks or download pre-made ones. Or if you really don't want to do that, you can use Memorize, which is a pretty cool app that uses the same kind of fundamentals but with pre-made decks. Mm-hmm. It's a little more inconvenient to make a custom deck, but it looks pretty. I think you should make your own decks, though. Yeah. Well, like, I think that your own decks I think that's are part are of the learning process all the time, especially because yeah. in French class, I went through my textbook one weekend. And I put every single chapter vocabulary word from the end summaries into an Anki deck. Mm -hmm. And I gave the files to my classmates actually. And I have no idea if they used them. I never double checked. But every time a test came around, I knew 100% of the words because I was using this. Mm -hmm. Anki allowed me to learn the words over time, remember them over time rather than I hope I can remember it on the test. Let's just guess. Yeah, and or let's cram. So we remember it for the test day. But then the next day, I don't remember that word. It doesn't mean anything. But Anki will put it in your long term memory. Mm -hmm.
0: This week's episode of our show is supported in part by FreshBooks. FreshBooks creates online accounting and invoicing solutions that help freelancers get paid faster and work more productively. So when I was in college, I used several different methods of paying my expenses. I had both several part time jobs and I spent a good amount of time looking for scholarships but I also did freelance web design. And that actually turned out to be a great way to make money because it didn't compromise my class schedule. I could basically work whenever I wanted to. Now, while freelancing is great, one of the realities of it is that you have to learn how to do everything yourself. You are basically you incorporated, your business. And in addition to doing the actual work, which was coding websites, I had to do all of the other bits, including dealing with accounting and sending invoices. And back then, that was a pain. I had to learn how to set my own invoicing template up in Microsoft Word, I had to email them out to clients, and then I had to wait sometimes weeks on end for the checks to come in the mail. But luckily, these days, you don't have to deal with any of those hassles because FreshBooks makes the whole process so much easier. They've recently released a completely new version of their cloud accounting software, redesigned from the ground up to suit the way you work and give you more time for the stuff that you actually like doing best, which probably isn't invoicing. And in addition to those productivity gains, you also get paid faster. FreshBooks lets you create and send clean, professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds, and you'll also be able to see when your client has opened it, which eliminates the need for all those annoying follow-up emails like, hey, just checking in. Did you see the invoice I sent you last week? You'll know exactly. When they've seen it. And you won't have to worry anyway because you'll get paid up to four days faster since FreshBooks lets you set up online payments for your clients in just a couple of clicks. And as someone who has been both on the freelancer and client side of this relationship, I cannot understate just how convenient online payments are. So if you want to start getting paid faster and be able to spend more time doing the work that you want to be doing, give FreshBooks a try. And you can start for free today with a 30-day unrestricted trial by going to FreshBooks.com/cig and entering College Info Geek in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Thanks so much to FreshBooks for supporting our show. Now, I absolutely am like an advocate of spaced repetition, but one of the big objections I've seen from people on like forums and just Reddit and all kinds of stuff is eventually Anki gets overwhelming because you have so many words in it that you wake up and you've got like 400 to review on a day. Yeah. So what do you do to mitigate that
1: problem or deal with it? Well, I would say that for a lot of people, not necessarily all of them, you don't need to mitigate that. I don't use Anki anymore for Spanish. I think that when you're a beginner in a language, you don't have a, a real environment. Like you can't read a book. You can't watch a movie. You're not having conversations with people and your family doesn't speak it. So you need to create an artificial environment for immersion, basically flashcards, lessons, really contrived examples from your textbooks. And then later on, For example, I just finished um, a Spanish book, A Story of a Shipwrecked Sailor, and it taught me probably 10 to 30 new words just because I read the book. And in real life, that's how you learn English words too. You read things. You watch things. You hear people use the word. You start to use the word. Once you get good enough at a language that you can start having an actual environment instead of an artificial one, you don't need flashcards nearly as much. Because as long as you're using – you're reading enough books or something or you're watching enough stuff or you're having enough conversations, the important words come up and the unimportant Mm. words don't, just like your native language. Yeah, that makes sense. So if – once you get to that point – and I probably wouldn't start out putting five billion words in Anki. Yeah. Because then you will overwhelm yourself before you, you can actually not rely on flashcards anymore.
0: And that's another reason why I like creating your own
1: cards. Because it's really easy to go download oh, someone's yeah. deck, and you can then there's download, 500 like, cards the there. five hundred cards in there. The top five thousand Spanish words pretty quickly. Yeah, but then you're like, yeah, but I know that word and don't care. Yeah, but that word's weird. Yeah, but I don't care. Yeah, but I don't care. Instead of having a deck that you made that is exclusively like your personalized vocabulary, mm-hmm. or the vocabulary from your classwork, and that actually matters to you, and it yeah. won't overwhelm you because, arguably, in a classroom environment, you are not going that fast, mm-hmm. so you don't need to. Each chapter is what, gonna have 10 to 20 words. They're not gonna throw five hundred words at you and just yeah. expect you to sink or swim. And I, I do think there is value in
0: studying recommended lists of words to a degree because say I went in Japanese and I'm I am like I have this mindset that I'm only gonna study the words that I come up with over time. That will work, but it's gonna take me a long time and there's gonna be a bunch of gaps in my knowledge. And I I do specifically remember um, there's this app called Mind Snacks, and it's just all these cool, fun games that help you review vocab terms in tons of different ways. Yeah. And that's actually how I learned all the body parts in Japanese. It's how I learned all of the familiar relationships like grandmother, aunt, uncle, sister, brother. Um, It's how I reviewed a lot of the colors. I think I learned the colors through my Japanese coach and the DS, but I relearned them with Mind Snacks. and. Mind Snacks just has like these doable, but still pretty comprehensive little mini sets of words that you learn and study. So I think it's, at least in my opinion, it's good to balance your study time with regards to vocabulary between your personal, like OVA list of things that are really relevant to you, and then some amount of comprehensive study that's recommended by a course or a teacher. So that way you get like this useful base of really common words that you might not have thought of yourself. Like you may you may not think of the colors or the body parts, but then it's good to like learn them in sets.
1: Yeah, and this is why I say like later on, you may not need to worry about these because mm-hmm. like I know all those basic words now in yeah. Spanish, so it's not that big of a deal. But following your classwork or something like Duolingo, they will usually have these kind of words. You can also get what's called a frequency dictionary, mm-hmm. which will have... So I had one at one point. I think I donated it to a language – the language department at my college. But it has the top 5,000, I believe, most frequently used words in Spanish. So if you get something like that, hmm. like – I don't remember the percentages, but it's something along the effect of like the 50 percent of conversation is just the most common 100 words. 80 yeah. percent is the most common like a 1,000 words or some, something to that effect where you go down that 5,000 – And you don't even have to hit five thousand to be getting eighty or ninety percent of language. Yeah, because you don't talk about all the weirdest things in the world. It's like that uh,
0: that Zip distribution. There's a really good Vsauce video about that, where like a Zip it's Z I P F. Yeah, Zip distribution is there's always like this when you look at languages, uh, and this happens in more than just languages, but languages is a good example. You have like the most commonly used word, which I think is the in English. And then the next one is like more than half as frequent. And then like the next one down is like another huge order of magnitude less frequent. So you get like this long tail eventually, but at the uh, at the most frequent end, it scales down really quickly. Yeah. Which means for you as a learner that you can learn the most frequently used uh, words. And once you get to a certain point that isn't too far down the line, You've learned a relatively small set of words in comparison to every word that exists, but the amount of times that this set is used is vastly larger than everything else put
1: together. Yeah. I mean, what is it? In um, Japanese, there are what, 2000 kanji that you learn by the time you get through like school oh, the, or yeah, something? Oh, the, yeah. The Joyo kanji, I and think it's, it's the called. Base set. Yeah. And it's that's like the 2000 that's like most used in newspapers
0: and general conversation. So if you can learn the joyo, you can have conversations with most people in most contexts.
1: Yeah. And like, like the point is for the most part, learning all those average common words will help you. And then if you sprinkle on some personalized words, Mm -hmm. now you can speak to the average topic, but you can also talk about a topic that you like in a little more specialized way, because maybe my programming words that I learn are not in the top 5,000 perhaps. I don't know. Because yeah. it depends on how many people of the average like population are talking about programming.
0: Yep. And it's the same thing with English. Like, do you know what adroit means? Nope. Because I that word just came to my mind, but I don't know what it means. I don't know. And like for the longest time, I've had like this vague idea of what shrewd means, but never like a concrete definition until I looked it up the other
1: day. Oh, so that's okay because you have a vague idea because you just kind of absorb what it means. Yeah. You like read it like
0: he was a shrewd politician or a shrewd king or something like that. And it's like, okay, I mean, I kind of have like this sort of general feeling of what that means. It's probably like the opposite of dumb or unobservant or unable to take advantage of a situation, but I don't really know exactly what it means because I don't use it very often. Yeah. And it doesn't come up in conversation very often. So I think uh, a, a good like, summarization of this with regards to Anki is, like you said, you have to build that initial artificial environment first where you're mixing up study of your own words and then those generally accepted, frequently used words that are important to know. Uh, But Anki getting overwhelming is not a reason to not use it in the beginning because eventually you just graduate from that tool, just like you graduate from training wheels on a bicycle. Yeah.
1: And if it's really overwhelming, I don't know about memorize. Well, I guess you can just choose whatever lessons you want to do, but in Anki, I know you can go into the settings and be like, I only have time for 10 new words a day or five Mm -hmm. new words a day and 15 review words. That way it doesn't hand you just 5 billion at a time.
0: Yeah. And the other thing to note is there isn't a hard point at which you graduate. It's not like there's, some date in the future and every day before then you only study anki and then every day after then you only learn words by watching TV and reading books and stuff yeah as you learn you should be actively challenging yourself to learn in more organic ways so once you've got a you know a small base maybe find a children's book or I know in uh, in Japanese manga is a really good way to learn um and like immerse yourself because most manga is written well not most manga but a lot of manga is written for kids. And what they do, I forget the word for this, but they take all the kanji, and right above the kanji, you will see the hiragana that make up that kanji. It's furigana, yeah, furigana. That's right. Yep. So the furigana enables you to pronounce the kanji even if you don't know it, because there are 42 hiragana, I think, and somewhere you in the can 40s. yeah, you can learn how to pronounce and recognize all 42 hiragana in a couple of days, and then you just review it. Whereas the two thousand or so joyo kanji or the ten thousand plus total kanji, that takes yes, years and years is such a small amount of the real amount. It, yeah, it takes years and years to but, learn those. and most kanji are much more complicated than all the hiragana. hiragana is very simple. There's you know maybe two or three strokes per character at yeah. most. So when you're reading through like one piece or Shonan jump or anything like that in Japanese, you come across the kanji you don't know. And right above it, you see the furigana. So you're just like, okay, shoyo. And now you know. You know, maybe you don't remember it right then, but over time, as you're reading these stories that you're involved in and you're invested in, and you, you may eventually so you remember it. better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That kanji was shoyo. And you know, again, if you're reading another manga, it's probably going to have it there, it reinforces it, and it doesn't prevent you from enjoying that piece of media because it has been written in a way
1: that even kids can enjoy it. Yeah, and you don't really graduate to the point immediately like you're saying. But a good example of how, how I started to feel like flashcards flash cards aren't worth going for anymore mm-hmm. is because – so recently, like I was talking about 161, I'm trying to fight some of that resistance to take language seriously. So I was like maybe I should do flashcards again. Yeah, And then I tried to do that going through this book I was reading. And then I kept writing down words and writing down words and reading the book started to take so long because I was writing down so many words I wanted to learn. And mm. then I'd look at the list of words I wrote down and I'm like, oh wait, I already remember like 80% of these. And yeah. I really dread the idea of putting it into a flashcard. I just want to read the book and I'll remember most of them. It'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And that's, once it gets to the point where it feels less efficient to use the flashcards and you you can just do it and enjoy it and use what you need, then just drop them.
0: I had that same problem with um, the book Cryptonomicon by Neil Stevenson, because he has so many cryptography terms and military terms in that book that I don't know, that when I tried to read it, like at least five times per page, I would stop and I'd be like, I don't know that word. I need to go look it up. And I had this idea in my head that, you know how you, you build up certain works of art that you haven't experienced yet, but you know are kind of like accepted to be really good, and you kind of just you're like
1: that's going to be amazing to experience. Yeah, and then you try to make like the perfect experience of it. You're yeah, like, I'm not ready for it yet. I'm not. I got to have the right frame of mind, or I won't enjoy it perfectly.
0: Exactly. Like I knew that Game of Thrones was apparently like you know one of the best shows I've ever made, and I'm like, man, someday I'm going to watch that. I'm going to really love it. And then I was like, but not now. Today's not the perfect time. So I'm going to go watch Marco Polo on Netflix instead. You know, Marco Polo is not a bad show, but it's not Game of Thrones caliber. And I think a lot of times we delay experiencing that thing that we've built up in our heads to be like the best thing and we'll do something else instead. And for me, the two Neil Stevenson books I've read so far, The Diamond Age and Snow Crash are two of my favorite books of all time. So I actually have gone out and I, I did this like f- three or four years ago. I bought every other Neil Stevenson book. So on my shelf, I've got Cryptonomicon, I've got the entire Baroque cycle and I've got Anathem sitting there waiting for me. And I know I'll love them because it's Stevenson. But when I was sitting there trying to read Cryptonomicon, I kept running across these words that I didn't know. And I'm thinking to myself like, man, if I don't know all these words, if I'm not super up to date on war terminology, I'm not gonna be able to immerse myself in this book well enough. So I guess I better go study all these words. And what ends up happening is I turn this book into a chore for myself and I don't read it. Yeah. And I I was reading that book back when we lived in Ames so it's been at least 3 years
1: since i put that book down yeah thinking I, i'd come back to it later i have done the exact same thing i've taken months to listen to a new album that i knew i'd love because i was like yeah but this album's going to be so good <laughs> i can't do it right now i got to work I and mean, i really need to focus on this and i've done it with books too and mm-hmm. then read an entire separate book while in the middle of one book because i was like i don't have the time to focus on that it's too good yeah and then i start an easy one and i finish it and that mm-hmm. obviously does more to get rid of your immersion than just reading the book.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I should probably just start Cryptonomicon again soon But and, yeah, and not like, that's, worry about... That's an
1: English book. So yeah. this isn't like a crazy foreign languages or super impossible kind of challenge. This mm-hmm. is just what humans go through learning terms.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think I got it in my head that I would need to know a bunch of stuff. Because I remember with, like with the Baroque cycle, it's all about like the late 1600s, early 1700s, with like the Royal Society and all that stuff. And uh, somebody online was like, it's so full of detail that you should go read like the Samuel Peef's letters and watch like all of Cosmos and just know all this stuff before you'll ever enjoy <laughs> you this book. You or oh you're not God. allowed to read it. So now I, I have this resistance to starting that series because it's like, man, I want to enjoy it because I don't know enough yet. And I mean, there is a grain of truth to that. Because I do remember uh, I tried to read Neuromancer when I was 14 years old and I just couldn't follow it because Gibson does not pull any punches with his world building. He does a lot of like cyberpunky stuff. He'll throw in terms that he's made up like I'm pretty sure he's um, no Stevenson made up the word avatar with regards to an avatar in digital world in snow crash but Neuromancer also came up with several like cyberpunky internet kind of terms because it's a pretty old book. And when you read it, you have to kind of be like on the ball with the context and have a certain base of knowledge to really appreciate what he's writing about. And even now that I'm 25, I'm reading through it and I find it a little bit difficult to follow. So there is a grain of truth to that apprehension to starting something that you don't feel like you have the base for, but eventually you just get to the point where you put it off indefinitely. Well, it's going to be hard to know it.
1: when you're ready. So at some yeah. point, you're just ha- going to have to guess and say, Maybe, I'm probably ready. Let's just go for it. Yep. Because there won't be a clear, hello, today is the day you can read this book. Oh, thanks, Siri. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. And you can always read it again. Yeah. You, you know, can always reread the it. The next
0: time you'll, you will be more primed for some of those
1: words you didn't know or some of that context oh, you didn't understand. That actually brings me right back to language. As far as reading goes, and a a lot of reading can become overwhelming, especially in the beginning. I know I tried to look at like a high-level novel Mm -hmm. when I was early on, and I was like, I can't read this. But one thing that I found that helps is if you can't get to the level where you can just read through and like guess words and go back, if you read through say like one or two pages at a time and it's really hard and you're looking up words and then you reread them after you've looked up the words – Suddenly, a lot of the pieces of the story or a lot of what they're talking about will make more sense. Yeah, And so the first time is like, okay, let's get ready to read this. And then the second time, you read it for enjoyment, not for studying. Mm -hmm. But you don't necessarily need to do a ton of that in the beginning because if you overwhelm yourself long term, you'll probably make yourself quit the language. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So the final point that I have here, and this is the one that I – believe I feel the strongest on this one. And it's something that I've done, but I wasn't told to do by any other sources. And it's practice pronunciation, both separately and early. Pronunciation mm-hmm. is very important. And I don't mean an accent. You don't need to sound like you're from the country, but just the straight up pronunciation. Because the fear of many Americans learning a foreign language is to sound like an American learning a foreign language. Yep. And <laughs> A lot of that problem is caused because you're pronouncing a similar sound in your native language rather than the slightly different version of the sound heard in your target language. So I don't want to give a million examples for this, but the Spanish D is different from the English D, Mm -hmm. but you don't necessarily know that. Your teachers don't necessarily tell you, but the difference between ocupado and ocupado is there's a difference. One of them sounds much more Spanish than the other, and the thing is you're kind of pronouncing it right, but... You're using English versions of the sounds the mouth position is slightly different for mm-hmm. many of these things and so how to act on this is the summer before I took my very first French class I knew that I couldn't pronounce the French R so I found several words uh, compréhensif zero and and I just repeated those words like all summer talking to myself in the shower when walking if I wasn't thinking about something and then I learned how to do it And then when class comes, suddenly I can pronounce these things, and it sounds kind of French. And whether it's all the way French doesn't matter because that is just an absurd confident boost. Yeah. And you're willing to speak the language out loud, which you have to do if you ever want to get anywhere. Mm -hmm. And you'll feel more confident speaking up in class, asking questions, and guessing things because even when you make a grammatical error – You're going to sound good doing it, and a lot of the other students that don't know what you're saying, they're still going to be like, whoa, it sounds so good, even though you just made a mistake. But the voice makes it sound confident, yeah. and you won't be mumbling it because you'll be willing to speak. And I guess if you've ever taken a Spanish class and you've had a group presentation and you've had – you tried to roll your R's, but you just terribly, terribly couldn't and you felt really embarrassed and stupid, which is what I did in seventh grade. It, it makes a world of difference because now I can roll my R's with no problem and mm-hmm. I'm willing to speak.
0: It's funny. At first, I felt like trying to pronounce the words correctly and like the, the right accent or the way they are meant to be pronounced would sound like fake and forced. So like with, uh, with Japanese, one of the particular things that Americans have to learn to pronounce is the Japanese R yeah. because it's not hiragana. It's hiragana. And I'm bad at it. I can't do it very well. But it's it's not like a ru, it's like a da. Yeah, it's it's and different sound I entirely. felt like when I went to Japan, if I went and talked to like a a person at a gas station or shop or or you know, a waiter or something like that, if I asked like, or if I said thank you, I felt at first like I needed to say like "arigato gozaimasu" because I'm an American and it sounds like you know an American should say it that way. But then I was like, I'm just gonna try it and I'm just gonna try to pronounce it the correct way. I'll probably sound like crap, but "arigato gozaimasu." And what I found is like, I still don't sound perfect, but a lot of times they would say, oh, that's very good in English sometimes. And obviously it's not very, very good, but they understand that you're trying to pronounce it the way it is supposed to be pronounced. So you're making an effort to speak with them in their language, the way their language is supposed to sound. And they appreciate that. Yeah. So I found that that particular reaction that I would get from people really boosted my confidence. It didn't delude me into thinking I was pronouncing things perfectly, but it at least gave me the confidence that yes, I can speak things and I can make an attempt to speak them correctly and I'm not going to get ridiculed or told like you should just speak
1: like an American with your transatlantic 40s accent or something. Yeah. But it it just makes it makes a big difference. And you don't have to sound perfect like you're saying. You can you're going to make mistakes. You have to try to make that sound a lot to teach your mouth to do it. Yeah. And if you don't start in the beginning, What, later on, you're going to have perfect grammar and vocabulary, but you're never going to want to say anything because you sound dumb? Mm -hmm. Like, it's not going to be useful to you, but later, you might... Like, I can roll my R for basically forever now, and I couldn't at all. So also, the myth that you can't learn these sounds is a myth. Mm -hmm. You can, as an adult. And once you've learned these sounds, you don't have to worry about them constantly tripping you up. Every single sentence you read, everything that you try to understand... You're going to be tripped up because you're like, oh, that grammar is good, but I keep being unable to say it. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I can't focus on the grammar like I should be. I'm focusing on these sounds, which are the basis of the whole thing because language was spoken before it was written. Yeah, And a way to look this up and find sounds, because some of them have obvious things like the Spanish rolled R, the French R, the Japanese R, lots of R's. That The R-ish set of sounds really changes a lot. Mm -hmm. But... If you go to Forvo.com, you can find recordings of native speakers pronouncing almost any word you can think of. I only maybe once or twice have found words that weren't on there, and I think they were brand names. Okay. Is that F-O-R-V-O? Yes. Cool. And you can use this to study and mimic new sounds or to make sure how to pronounce. Let's say you looked up those personalized words, but you don't want to say it wrong in class. Look it up on Forvo. Now you know how they say it. You know how a native Mm. person pronounces that. And that's really helpful for languages like English or French, where the spelling basically does not help you very much when it comes to actually pronouncing the word and where it can be difficult to guess. But also, if you if you want, sometimes it's hard because your voice sounds different to you than it does to other people. So if you record stuff on your phone while you're mimicking somebody speaking or let's say you open up uh, the, the video recorder iMovie or whatever you use on Windows or something, Windows Movie Maker, Mm -hmm. And you record yourself, just like a video log of you, let's say, trying to just say something in another language, pronouncing like a passage from a book out loud. And then you can watch it and you can be like, oh, that sound trips me up. That sound trips me up. Yeah. Or you could record a single sound, repeat it over and over, and you keep comparing yourself to the native speakers. Mm -hmm. And that reminds me, I know we
0: have a pretty decent amount of non-native English speakers who listen to this podcast. And I get emails from people all the time who are just like, you know, my English isn't very good. I'm learning, you know, forgive me for that. So if English is something that you're trying to learn, I know that dictionary.com has an audio pronunciation for almost any word you look up there. Cool. So I I don't know if Forvo does English in particular. Okay. So yeah, that may be a good resource, but also like particularly for English and maybe for other languages. I'm not sure, but like I'm looking at their word of the day, cantankerous, and there's a little Button here that I can click and it will read it out loud to me, which is pretty nice. And like, as a native English speaker, there are plenty of
1: words that I don't know how to pronounce still. Yeah, because well, like English I'm saying, is English really English weird. is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, basically, you don't need to have a perfect accent. I'm not saying you need to sound like you're from that country, but there are different sounds. The Spanish D and the English D are not the same. And once you master the Spanish D, you will gain like 10% more sounding better and yeah. it will make you feel better over and over and over. It gives you basically infinite return as long as you keep speaking the language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So does that, that cover all your, uh, your points? Yeah, that covers my points uh, for making the most of your class. I could talk infinitely about language learning in general, but if you're in a language class, try to speak no English, learn over time and don't cram, practice pronunciation so you sound better than your classmates and feel super awesome all the time and learn vocabulary that matters to you sweet well if you guys have more foreign
0: language questions i know martin is down to do as many episodes on foreign language as we can come up with so um our reddit is collegeinfogeek.com community you can put questions there you can email them to us you can put them in the comments on the youtube video or tweet them to us uh if you've got questions related to this topic we can definitely put them into new episode outlines and uh, and cover them. So show notes for this episode where you can find links to Forvo and to dictionary.com and to Anki and all the other resources we talked about are over at cigpodcast.com slash 162. And you can also find some of our other favorite resources for becoming more productive or managing your money and our uh, our list of books that we recommend as well over at, or at, or at collegeandbookie.com slash resources. Sometimes I forget we have like a short URL for the podcast. Yeah. That isn't the right URL. <laughs> yeah. collegeandbookie.com slash resources. So check that out. Thanks for listening. And we will see you guys in next week's episode. Stay cute. Thanks once again to FreshBooks for sponsoring this episode. Whether or not you're in college, if you do any sort of freelancing and you want to start automating your invoicing process and getting paid faster, then go over to freshbooks.com CIG and start your free 30-day unrestricted trial. And when you do, remember to put College Info Geek in that how did you hear about us section so they know you came from this show. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next week.